Welcome back, everybody, to the Horoscope Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Chambliss, and as always, I have my co-host, Russell Howell. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. Uh, really looking forward to talking about this uh, classic film. Uh, definitely one of my all-time favorites. I'm talking about the 1978 horror film by John Carpenter, Halloween. Um, this is something I revisit all the time every year for Halloween time. I just I love the film. I, th- I think it still holds up 40 years later, and just really looking forward to talking about this with our guest today. Oh, yes, and we have a big guest, ladies and gentlemen, from the Schmodown, from the Action Guys, Ben Bateman. How's it going, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. This is exciting. I, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, just watched this movie for the first time for this very podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I've never yeah. seen it. Yeah, he actually told me that previously, and I was kind of shocked that you haven't seen this before. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's like movies, you know, this genre, I would say, in general, is one that I'm, I'm less... I'm less versed in the classics than I probably should be. I didn't really grow up watching a lot of horror. You know, I did. I did a review yeah. of the new, the new Halloween, and I remember yeah. the movies coming out in my lifetime. Like I remember when H2O came out, but this original, you know, it's like at this point, it's old enough. You have to really choose to go back and watch it. I don't feel like it's just a prerequisite yeah. anymore. For sure, yeah. it, especially with like all the, all the, you know, all the new ones coming out and stuff like that. Now, just a quick question about visiting this for the first time with, uh, with you know, fresh eyes. Uh, did this movie kind of change the way you looked at it, having viewed all these other Halloween films at all? Like, you know, the 2018 film, obviously, and some of the other you know sequels to fall. I don't know how many that you've seen previously. Uh, de- definitely. I mean, I think that the opening sequence in this film is pretty, is pretty frightening. And uh, just him standing there with a knife, I think, is a really very iconic moment, it felt like. So that's one yeah. thing that I always really like in movies is when you watch something for the first time and you, you have that feeling when you're watching it of like, oh, Mm-hmm. this must be a pretty iconic moment because it feels that way. Yeah. Um, and that definitely felt like it, like just him standing there with that blank look on his face. Um, that, and I thought the score was pretty, was obviously I knew the music, but like yeah. the score yeah. might've been my favorite part of the whole movie. It's, it's just like perfect. It drives the film. I mean, I, I've told, I've told Hunter this time and time again. I think that, yeah. you know, Carpenter's score absolutely drives this film and it's so simple too. It kind of reminds me, John Williams, uh, simple score to Jaws pretty much. It's, it's very yeah. easy. Yeah. And, it's a very easy score, but it works, and it really conveys the entire emotion of the film throughout. Couldn't agree yeah. more, yeah. And that's one thing I actually love about this is how the score really feels like a character in its own. It doesn't feel like just music in the background. It feels like, okay, something major is happening because you hear the music kick in at a certain time. The way that, that John Carpenter uses the music is really like it's subtle, it's very simple, but it's to the point, and you know, oh my God, something bad is going to happen here. Yeah, it's repetitive, but it definitely feels like a, repetitive in a good way. Like mm-hmm. the movie, the movie yeah. feels as much like this. The movie feels as much like the score as anything else. I would say the score kind of embodies the tone of this movie better than anything. It's like the heartbeat of the film, pretty much. I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Easily, and I think, I, I think, and I think Carpenter really times that. You know, each you know you know, song that he puts in it perfectly. I think it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, relevant to the scene and it sets the scene up. It makes you, you know, have all the feels when you're watching. And I think that's important. Right. Yeah. All right. So um, we just got off topic there a little bit, but definitely on topic, but Ben, as somebody who watched this recently, why don't you give us just your overall first impressions mm-hmm. on this movie? Um, I mean, I really, really liked it. I, I, I was totally engrossed. Um, I think, you know, it's introducing Jamie Lee Curtis, so I think it's it's always so fascinating when you see somebody who's still making movies. You know, I met, um, 
you know, I met her last summer, I guess, at, at the at the Halloween uh, press line at San Diego. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's still a total badass. She, like, handles <laughs> herself really well, and she's funny, and she's sharp. So it's crazy to think, you know, 40 years, um, 40 years later, right? That's that's wild. I think um, I think obviously, like like any genre, forty years does a number when it comes to you know special effects or or yeah. makeup. And so there are some things where it's obviously not as like realistic or gory as it maybe would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked how short it was, to be honest. You know, yeah. it's one thing I say about movies all the time is like, you know, I reviewed re reviewed the first Toy Story recently, and it's like this is 90 minutes. This is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Like you can do so much in that, in that time with a movie yeah. that um, so often movies have to be two hours, two hours, 10 minutes now. And like, yeah. this movie wouldn't be as good if it was an extra 30 minutes, even 20 minutes. It, it's perfect. Like it, it, you need it to move the way that it moves. I feel, and it's, I always think of a Judd Apatow movie. I know a completely mm-hmm. different genre, right. but I feel like his movies always go like 20, 25 minutes too long. Um, I think This Is 40 was a perfect example of that. It starts to get slow and muddled. And I think that this kind of how you echoed with Toy Story. I think, you know, Carpenter making it 90, I think it was like 93 yeah. minutes or 91 minutes or whatever. You can't cut anything out. I think everything serves a purpose in this film. And I think that's the beauty of this film. And I think that's why it's such a, you know, you know, revered classic. And I think it's because of everything about it serves a purpose. There's no wasted time. In it. And I think that's the, you know, the best part about this film. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think, um, I also like that there's a, a kind of like lighthearted campiness to it that is different than than some, I don't know, like really heavy, really graphic horror films like you would see today. You know, even taking a movie like Don't Breathe, which I really like Don't Breathe a lot, for Don't sure. Breathe takes itself so much more seriously than this does. Yeah, you know, for sure. It doesn't feel like the same kind of movie. And um, I know that this movie was one of the original, like it was one of the ones that kind of created the that 70s, 80s horror genre. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it. It feels that way. It feels like they, there's a campiness that's very specific um, that I don't think was probably as common prior to this and executed quite as well. He's a creepy fucking villain, too. He's, he he's, he's yeah, super he creepy in this movie. Yeah. He is. I think the simplicity of it, I think, is, is, is chilling in itself. It, it's, it doesn't try to wow you. And I think, you know, Hunter and I were obviously talking in our last episode. We were talking about Wes Craven's mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street, where, mm-hmm. you know, six years later, you've already had the release of this film. You've already had the release of the original Friday the 13th. You've had The Shining. Friday, you know, you've yeah. had all these other different horror films that have kind of, you know, kind of paved the way a little bit to give Wes Craven a little bit more ideas to how he was going to set up a Nightmare on Elm Street. And I think Carpenter kind of takes it and he makes it simple. I compare this film kind of like Psycho. It's very simple. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, this movie breathes, lives and breathes on its uh, score. And I think that, yep. you know, and I, I just, I feel like that, that's what makes this movie so effective. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, what the hell happens, by the way, at the end there when he's got the knife and he gets like the darkness neck? What I, I was trying, like a thing goes in his neck and he falls over behind the couch and she thinks she's killed him. Oh, it's one of those crochet needles. Yeah. And just she throw it at him? I was like watching she, it. She, like, and it's weird because that's the other thing that, uh, another thing like I kind of like was like, eh. It, it kind of echoed the scene with the with the closet, you know what I mean? She randomly, you know, gets the the coat hanger and just like perfectly jabs him in the eye. Yeah. Like, come on, that, that's got to be that's that's a hard shot. And it's in the dark. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it was a crocheting needle, and I think she just randomly had it and she hit him in the side of the neck. It looked like I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure she like stabbed him in the side of the neck, which dropped him for a minute. That yeah, that, close, mo- that 
that could possibly kill somebody. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I think those are like some of the beats where I talk about the execution not being quite as good maybe as yeah. something today. Mm-hmm. It was like a little more unclear to me what the heck has just happened there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, f- I feel you on it, though, for sure. Yeah. But, um, all right, so let's get to our, like, our favorite moments in this film, and there's a lot of them. Um, Russ, do you want to... Uh, yeah, uh, I'll... Beers? Yeah, I'll start, and it's it's really at the beginning of the film, and um, I love the scene when right after Tommy Doyle drops the pumpkin, he falls down and smashes it. Um, you see Michael Myers stopping the one kid, and then you see Tommy Doyle walking through the mm-hmm. school playground, and you just see it pans where Michael Myers is kind of just watching him, and you can kind of just see his peripheral yeah. just move along with Tommy Doyle. Um, I think it's haunting. Um, and I, and I love how Carpenter sets the camera up in the back seat of the station wagon and you get that whole entire view, like mm-hmm. he's just watching him and scoping him out. Um, it's chilling. It, it's super haunting. Um, and it just, I, it's shot beautifully. I think it, it really gives you goosebumps when you're watching it. You get the feels watching it. So it's definitely one of my, uh, one of the scenes I really like, not my favorite, but I just, <laughs> just because it happens at the beginning of the film, it's the one that I, I go back to just because I really enjoy that scene. Yeah. All right, Ben. I think yeah. for me, probably aside from obviously the moment, like I mentioned at the beginning, where where Michael's holding the knife after he kills his mm-hmm. sister. Um, it's his sister that he murders, right? To start the yeah, film. Yeah, Judith. Yeah. Yep. Um, I really like when they're when she's walking down the street, Lori with her friend, and and they see him standing there by the hedges. Oh yeah. And it's uh, because that's like you see him a little closer mm-hmm. there for a second. He's a little clearer, and it's like he's just stalking her. And obviously, you know that it's too early in the movie for anything to happen behind that hedge. You know that her friend is going to go around and it's going to have to be a red herring. It's like a classic storytelling trope, but you're still just like, what is going to happen here? And, uh, and he is close by and he's stalking her and he says, he's taking his time. And just the fact that he, you know, he was still so close by, you know, he couldn't have gone far, yeah. but he's decided to like, just continue to kind of creep and stalk them. I really like that moment. Um, especially because of the, the placement and the use of the narrative there where you kind of, as, as a viewer, you just like, there are beats they can't hit so early and they don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. it makes you really second guess like, Oh, are they actually going to do something here? And then when they don't, you're like, Oh, it's that trope that every movie uses. Right. You kind of hold your breath for a second. Cause you don't know. Andy yeah. goes and checks it out. You're like, well, what happened? You know what I mean? Is she going to be okay? Cause you know, you, you know what you saw, you know, mm-hmm. what, right. you know what Lori just saw. So you're like, Annie is one of those and she's a different character. She's not as reserved as Lori. She's more, you know, and just, she's more outgoing and she doesn't really care. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that really leaves you on the edge of your seat too. Cause you're like, when she gets close to the hedge, you're like, Oh my God, what's going to happen. And I think that's, you know, that's Carpenter shooting it beautifully from that, <laughs> from that scene. Like how you said, uh, Ben. I also really like how when the film opens, they don't waste any time, right? That's the, you don't need, they're not setting it up and like, and like, this is where this character came from or why, like, you're just in his point of view right away. Yeah. The story yeah. starts with a murder and it's, and it's from his perspective immediately. Um, yeah. yeah. And like, at first you're like, oh, again, am I going to be fooled? Is this like, you know, <laughs> if somebody's got the knife, okay, maybe it's not really a killer. And like, nope, murder is going to happen. Now this movie's yeah. going to start. Yep. And that so. actually goes right into my one of my favorite moments is that the whole opening scene because you it's more chilling because you see it in the first person aspect of it. Like he you know, Michael's walking through the house and you see him pick up the Halloween mask. And he puts on the mask and then you see him go and grab the knife and then you see the murder happen. So it's more 
intense because it feels like you're actually there experiencing what's happening. And just the camera work, the way that they kind of had the slow build from like, all right, you know, we're in the kitchen and now we're going up the stairs and now you can kind of see the mirror of his sister and then the murder. And then when Michael comes out and it's revealed to be, you know, the six-year-old child, you're like, whoa, you know, like a six-year-old did this. Now we're right into it. And it doesn't, as, as Ben said, it doesn't waste any time about, you know, setting up Michael Myers as this character, but really as this kind of insane child murderer and you're there to experience the ride. Right. Well, you're sort of, you're sort of like, um, I like, you're sort of like, I don't necessarily need to know why this kid is the way he is. And as I allude to later, um, the devil is here, right? They say that. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so you're, and you're sort of that, I mean, that's, and he has the supernatural kind of strength and like, mm-hmm. he's sort of unkillable, right? Like that's the story of Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, again, obviously we saw what happened at the end of the remake and <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling he's coming back. So, oh, for sure. <laughs> but, but it's, but it's a common trope with everybody though, in, in that whole, whole entire slasher genre, you know, obviously you have Michael Myers, you have, you know, Jason, Jason Voorhees, you have Freddy Krueger. It's all the same stuff that there's, they're always, you can't, you can't beat them. You can't defeat them. And I think yeah. that, that mystique adds more uh, scariness, I think to these films just because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, back to Russ. You want to give us a few? Yeah, uh, this is right near the end of the film. I love this part of the film. Uh, Jamie Lee, it's funny that we were just talking about it. Uh, the closet scene, she's already uh, stabbed him in the eye and stabbed him with the knife. <laughs> she is leaning perfectly between the doorway, and we see Michael Myers laying down, and slowly, like The Undertaker has perfected in WWE, slowly yeah. slowly sits up and it's perfect you you can see mm-hmm. you see her and you can see michael myers perfectly in that shot it's perfect um and just how you're like oh shit look behind you like and and and, and the music goes that and it just it's so simple and you see her slowly starting to walk or you know start slowly starting to walk on the side of the uh, the wall and something like that. you know he's there you know he's gonna get her Mm-hmm. And it's just so chilling and it just really leaves you. And, and I've seen this movie so many times and I'm still, I'm still on the edge of my seat. I'm, I'm still trying to tell Jamie Lee, you know, l- let's move faster. You know, let's hurry up. You know, you're taking <laughs> yeah. your time, but she thinks she's defeated him. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it's just, it's perfect score, perfect timing and placement of the score. And it's just it's the shot. It's beautiful. And I, and I really, you're on the edge of your seat the whole entire time through that scene. I love that scene. Of the original three, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street and um, Halloween, which do you think is considered like the, the sort of classic, mo- the best of the three? It's funny you mention that because Chance Ellison and I, uh, we, we talk all the time about uh, horror movies. And we, we have our own podcast where we picked our favorite horror uh, film. And I went Halloween. But, I, but Nightmare on Elm Street, literally, it's one and two. Those two are like, it's like, I think we, I can do more without Friday the 13th. I feel like Halloween and Friday the 13th, or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street bring their own thing to the table. Yeah. Um, they're, di- they're different films. Uh, but which you're saying, which one overall, would I overall, like what I rate as the, the best, is there a consensus of the three that is like considered (sighs) to be the best, man? I don't know. I, I I, do. Do we just say Halloween because it was first, you know what I mean? It set the table for what was to come. I'm thinking maybe because of that, because it was so intricate in setting up the slasher genre, 
that, you know, obviously you had Friday the 13th come out two years later. Four years later was, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. So I, I would say Halloween just based upon what it has done for the horror genre. Mm-hmm. But, um, God, I, lo- I really love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, and that's where I'm kind of leading to is uh, Halloween just because, well, also I just think it's kind of a slightly better, well-made film than, than uh, Nightmare on Elm Street as a way of, like, the, you know, the way the camera moves, the way the dialogue kind of works, how it feels kind of like teenage dialogue with Jean yeah. Laurie and her friends and like kind of how it, it doesn't have jump scares, but it has like real intense moments in this movie where it's like edge of your seat, like tension building. And I think a nightmare on, a nightmare on Elm street is really, really good. But I think there's just some parts in there that I can pick out to be like, maybe we shouldn't have this part or this part. Like there's some stuff I can take out where I can't really do it in this movie. Right, right, right. That makes sense. So now, now viewing Halloween 78 for the first time, Ben, wh- what would you say overall from the three? Cause I've taken, you've seen obviously a nightmare on Elm street and, and, uh, Friday. No, but, I, I, so I've so never seen any of the three. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So this, okay. They're that was your question leading into it. Okay. That's kind right. of, that was sort of my thing. Right. And so like yeah. you talk about, you talk about genres you grew up watching yeah. and, you have mm-hmm. to have an older sibling, I think, that cares. Or, or by the time I got to like the age where I was binging old movies, yeah, it was already well established that like uh, the old sort of classic horror genre just wasn't one that I would have. I didn't have a lot of friends that loved it. I didn't have a lot of yeah. opportunities yeah. to talk about it. So, yeah, I would watch way more like old like '40s noir movies, or yeah. I'd end up watching mm-hmm. like everything Paul Newman had ever been in, or yeah. like you know, like every Sidney St- Lumet movie or something. Like those are you know way more crime and yeah. drama. Yeah, and so. There's a lot of this this genre that I've just like never really been exposed to, so I thought it's funny to watch the first one with you guys here. Oh, that's awesome though. Um, I grew up an only child, so it was literally I literally grew up like like I I remember being like six or seven, literally just watching <laughs> scary movies. Like I would I would rent like I remember watching the Dream Warriors at my grandma's house. Like these are movies <laughs> okay, that yeah, are yeah. probably no, we're probably nobody should be watching this stuff. And I can only imagine what the hell their reaction was. And I don't even remember because they probably weren't even in the room watching it with me. Yeah. Obviously, the Dream um, Warriors. The Dream Warriors, like the third one, maybe. Dream Warriors, the third one. Yeah. Third one. Um, and like I said, I just remember running like Freddy Krueger movies. I grew up on that, and then I kind of just like it just it. There was all sorts. Of, then, like you, you fall down the rabbit hole. You start watching Halloween. Mm-hmm. You start watching, you know, um, you know, Friday the Thirteenth and stuff like that. I think Friday the Thirteenth would be the weaker of the three. Yeah. Original. I mean, I think that's. I, I think it's a consensus for me and, mm-hmm. and Hunter. I, I would say, um, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is a damn good film. I think yeah. you know, there's a lot that Craven really amps up the, um, the you know, slasher genre. But this really gives mm-hmm. rise to the female. Uh, you know, the female badass, you know, with yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, you have, uh, you know, Heather Langenkamp, obviously, and, um, you know, f- you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then even past the baton down to 1996, you got Nev Campbell, uh, you know, in yep. the screen. Right. I mean, you, you, have, you, you have a lot of these female characters that are really strong badass, and I really think that, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of put her stamp on that whole horror genre badass female. I mean, and then you have the sci-fi turnout the very next year in Alien. Yeah, with, 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 yeah, yeah, with Sigourney Reaper. And then even, you know... Five uh, years right later, there, Terminator. Right there, yeah, Terminator. So you... you I mean, I, I really think that Halloween is a you know intricate uh, in, intricate mm-hmm. film. And I think it's important in different genres. Too. Not not just so much the slasher film, but how you even said, Ben, just the female protagonist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And see, at you know, being the oldest in my family, um, of three siblings, 
I showed my brother this movie like quite recently in like the last year or so, and he absolutely loves it. So I'm glad that I'm actually able to pass down like these are the horror movies you need to watch because these are some of the best. Right. Like, classics. Yeah, like I showed him Shining, and that's one of his favorite horror movies. Well, that's a – I mean, Shining to me, like – so when I compare Shining to this, yeah, and, not, I talk, yeah. and I talked about the genre kind of, mm-hmm. they're almost, they almost don't feel like they're in the same genre. That's kind of yeah. my point, right? Like there's, yeah. a camp, there's a campiness to this movie that's great, and it's creepy, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. like, you've had, you know, nine sequels now. So, like, the idea of an unkillable protagonist or, or an unkillable villain yeah. and all this stuff. It's all. This is the. This is the earliest riff on those jokes. On those, uh, not even jokes. Just like those themes. Yeah. Whereas you watch The Shining and you're like, like I can watch The Shining and I'm like, these opening winding tracking shots of this car on this winding road are like oh, yeah. mesmerizing. I mean, the performance is oh, yeah. amazing. It's it's a, yeah. it's doing something complete like on a, such a different level than this. Uh, it feels much more like a like a drama that's utilized the horror backdrop as its subject, but like not a. Yeah, almost, almost like a horror thriller. You know what I mean? It's more of a thriller. Yeah. The thing, and then the thing I like about speaking of the shiny, it's the thing I liked about you know Kubrick is just the fact that you can watch his movies so many times and upon rewatch get something different from mm-hmm. from it. And I and that's what I love about Kubrick as a film director, um, just because watching The Shining, you take away something different each time you watch it, and I think that's what makes a film you know really great too. Makes a, you know a great filmmaker as well. Yeah. Um, Things I liked about the honestly Halloween seventy eight though the thing I found crazy is Carpenter shot this with a three thousand dollar or three hundred thousand dollar budget. So um, inexpensive, so crazy, yeah, and, and it's crazy. And I told Hunter at the beginning of the film, you know, when we see the leaves and stuff like that, they actually had people collect leaves in a bag and they'd sprinkle them out yeah. around the area they were shooting at. Okay, because if you look in the yards, like I'm, I'm talking far in the distance, you can tell there's not a leaf, there's no, no leaves in any yards, and, and and the leaves are all on the trees and stuff like that, because um, it was shot in California, so yeah, obviously it's different than it is here, obviously in Pennsylvania in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just thought that was so cool that they, the, the, the little things that they did, the so the simple things that they've done like that throughout the whole entire film to save money. Um, yeah. I was telling Hunter before shooting. Um, I was kind of curious why they chose the um, the William Shatner mask. So I kind of was looking it up. I was kind of doing a little research and digging, and I found out that they literally were they were only getting paid like twenty bucks a day. Some of the people that were actually in the film, mm-hmm. and um, they were at a convenience store or some kind of store or whatever, and they saw a cheap dollar ninety eight mask, and it, it just happened to be a Star Trek William Shatner mask, and it was cheap and inexpensive. So they were like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and get this. And um, they took it, you know, obviously spray painted it, kind of widened the eyes a little bit, added mm-hmm. the hair and all that stuff, and boom, that's what you have—the iconic uh, William Shatner Halloween mask. I thought that is was that so who, cool, though. Is that who that is? That's William Shatner. That's a William yeah. Shatner mask. Yeah, it's based on um, if you if you do a you know Google search or whatever, type in you know William Shatner Halloween mask, and it pretty much you can kind of see it. It's a it's a poorly done. I don't very poorly done. <laughs> But you can see it resembles him. So it, it obviously is, you know, William Shatner. And obviously in the 70s, obviously, you know, Star Trek was big. I mean, Star mm-hmm. Trek's been big for a while. So uh, it I makes mean, sense Star, that... I mean, the Star Trek movie came out the very same year. So. Yeah. Yep. Or so, the next year, the next year. Take it back there. Yeah, 79. So, so you're looking at, I mean, it was like a you know, cheap mask that they ended up finding that. And they ended up finding that uh, clown mask they ended up using for the uh, opening shoot, which I thought was actually yeah. really cool. Um, but they did a... Um, 
uh, inflation uh, for in 2008, and what Halloween gross would be the equivalent of a 150 million dollar film. Oh wow. Ooh. Which is crazy. And, and this is like literally like, you know, Blair Witch Project numbers, because you look at yeah. Blair Witch, I think was shot for like 30000 and ended up making like over $200 million. It, like it made buku bucks. Yeah. Um, but this was, yeah. And this was one of the, you know, you know, Halloween was one of the most successful independent films on that $300,000 yeah. budget, which is dirt cheap if you think about it. Some of these other films are like, you know, look at even Cleopatra. How much you know? I'm sure that they put into that. Cleopatra cost you know tons of money to to produce too. So oh, to yeah. see that to see this years later, and Carpenter's only working with three hundred thousand dollars. It just really shows you and it, it attests to how you know what a great filmmaker he is. And on top of it, just what a great film he ended up putting together. Let me ask you guys. Um, towards the end of the film, you see the mask come off really briefly, yep. um, just just before he gets shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many Halloween films does that happen where you see his face? Uh, that's it's only this one. I assume. Uh, yeah. I had I had a sneaking suspicion that was the case because it seemed uncharacteristic. It seemed weird that they would do that. Like it just didn't make any sense. Like there, I, I, there's another one. That, there's another one where he where he does it, Hunter. I don't know which one. This isn't the only one. I'm pretty uh, sure. I'm pretty sure there's another one. I can't think of it's maybe four or five. There's another one where you see his face. I can't think of. I can't think of which one, but it's funny that you mentioned that because the guy that was the unmasked Michael Myers Nick was Castle. was Tony Moran. Um, and it was funny because my wife and I ended up uh, meeting him. He was actually right around the area here for the um, for a signing uh, and okay. get a picture with him and stuff like that, which I thought was kind of cool. And that's his claim to fame, obviously. He's the unmasked Michael Myers, yeah. obviously. You know what I mean? You know, uh, Nick, Nick Castle obviously is the one that you know gets credited for being the Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, but Tony Moran, his claim to fame is he's the unmasked Michael Myers. And we went over, got a picture with him, uh, got an autograph, and literally that same night went and saw the uh, – 30 or what was it the 30 uh no it was the 40th anniversary of um halloween it was right it was playing right next door so i thought that was like very cool very Very perfect timing and i thought it was awesome but yeah real nice guy um i just thought it was a funny story because you kind of like really like just you know rode into that so i thought that was yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) kind of add into that little uh little tidbit of information yeah very cool all right uh ben do you have any more favorite moments you want to throw out no 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 i'll let you guys kind of continue on here how about um? How about scenes that you could? How about a little bit of scenes that um? Maybe do you do you have any extra scenes that you uh, really enjoyed, Hunter? Or do you want to? I mean, I have a few. Like, I love the fact that you don't see any blood, like at all, in this movie. Yeah, it is really interesting. Just a little bit on the on the one obligatory boob yeah. shot in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, the obligatory boob shot, and you see a little bit of blood with the uh, the tow truck driver. Uh, you, you happen to see a little yeah. bit, but. But it doesn't, and that's the thing, and that's the thing that I think Hunter and I were like alluding to at the beginning, like when we were before we were on cam, um, just talking about how simple Carpenter shot that. Like he didn't have mm-hmm. to wow you with gore and stuff like that. Fast forward to six years later, and you'll see later if you, whenever you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, it's completely reversed, man. Like yeah, the gore factor, the gore. like all bets are off with Craven. And I, I think again to just add to what you know, what Halloween really set the table for for the slasher genre. Uh, I, I just really think that this film's simple. It's simply shot, just like Psycho. I like I, I can keep comparing it to Psycho because I feel like there's a lot of the same beats um, that I th- feel like both films, um, you know, have. And even like you know, even uh, you know, Sam Loom as the the main character, Donald Pleasant's character is one of the the main guy in uh, Psycho. Mm-hmm. So oh, interesting. interesting. So they, there's there's a lot of ties. And Jamie Lee Curtis's mother was obviously Janet Lee, who was in Psycho. So there's some there's some ties there too, which I thought was that. You know, which I think is really kind of cool for uh, horror lore. Um, 
But uh, yeah, did you say so? That's you like that scene you said there, uh, Hunter. What other scenes? Yeah, and I also like the scene where um, Michael kills. I believe it's Linda's boyfriend. The, yeah, you're, the way he stabbed him. Yeah. Yep. And then his body just like dangles and hangs with a knife like in his body. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about the physics of that for a there's second. No, there is no, <laughs> there's no way, way that would work, but there's no way that knife's holding up the body up. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way. Well, I think, is, isn't some of that like don't like like they don't um, illustrate his Michael's like sort of superhuman strength in that moment? Yeah. But I think that that's supposed to kind of be the idea, maybe, is yeah. that he's pinned him into the wall so hard that it's like literally that stuck it's through. Like sticking yeah. in there. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, yeah, but like even like if so you know, if he was so strong, that you know, that um <laughs> that scene with Annie, man. This makes no sense, but that scene with Annie, like really he's like really choking her for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if he's so yeah. strong, like I mean, so you there's a, there's some scenes that I kinda you're like, oh, really? Like I mean they, they kinda like get you wondering, you know, really does it does that really make sense? But I mean, it's still a fun <laughs> film. You can you can cut that apart with any you know any film. Yeah. Really. Well, I mean, that's like again, you look at you look at a lot of movies, and when movies get franchised, they learn things about the franchise. They learn things about the character as they're making the movies. So yeah, you know, if you go back to the beginning of Fast and the Furious, you watch the first Fast and the Furious movie to now, it's not really the same genre anymore. No, like no. They're, heist, they're, they're heist movies now. Yeah. The first one was just Point Break with cars. Like yeah. you look at you right. look at like. Um, Captain America, the winter soldier and yeah. the handling of Steve Rogers and Chris Evans as a character in that movie through the way that he functions in like Endgame, Yeah. And it's, again, it's not even the same character, basically. He's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, Thor, he's Thor with a shield in the last movie. In the first one, he's a really strong dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and even Ethan Hunt in the mission impossible films, um, really, you know, taking it, like taking his character and pretty much saying, well, like what death defying thing is he going to do next? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yep. Really? really changing it away from 90, you know, De Palma's, you know, 96 film. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I think, and that, and that, and that's something that you'll see like with uh, Friday the 13th, whenever you decide to watch that to really start seeing like the holes in Jason Voorhees lore, I should say, like they yeah. really started yeah. adding things here and there that really kind of like, really like we're really doing this now and obviously, you know, Jason X in space. So like, you're like, really like, how, like, how do we, how do we do this? Like, that's get, one. I actually saw Jason X when it came yeah. out. That's the first one. That's the first <laughs> one of those I ever watched. Uh, oh boy! Yeah, yeah, my buddy and I remember we rented the we rented the 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 home video. It was probably a VHS tape. That, that's a that's a rough one. Oh, it's it, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And that movie must have come out in two thousand or something like that. Or like I think I want to say oh, when that come out. Two thousand two, maybe. I want to yeah. say oh one or oh two. Yeah, right it came in there. Out, because it came out a couple years before Freddy vs. Jason. Because Freddy vs. Jason was 03? 03. 04? Yeah. 03. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I have but, one more favorite moment. And that's when um, Lori goes to um, Linda's house to look for her. And she opens the door and you see, I believe it's Annie is dead with the Judith Myers tombstone on the bed beside her. Just that, yeah. that whole image of her with like, you know, she's dead right here, and then you have this big tombstone of his sister that says Judith Myers on it. Yeah. It's a really cool, like, shocking scene to see because they set it up at the, like, towards the beginning of the movie when the tombstone is gone. Right, and right. Has that great line, he's came home. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so I really enjoy that one. I have a whole bunch more, but we got to kind of uh, move on. Um, 
Uh, so this this is for Ben. So Ben, having watched, okay, you've you've seen the 2018 one, obviously. Okay, yep. now seeing Halloween. Now Halloween '78 obviously goes. Okay, we're ignoring everything else that's happened. Mm-hmm. We take it right to 2018's Halloween. How do you think that? How do you think they did adding all that together? I thought it was really great. I mean, I, I also think um, when I can speak a little bit more uh, officially on on that newer one, just because yeah. I, I like I said, I did the press line last year. I spoke to David David Gordon Green a bit about yeah. it and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, you know, he and Danny McBride worked on that film together. They come from such a different background. They, oh, and, and they sure. also, and they're such comedy guys in terms mm-hmm. of like what they think is funny. You know, they're so invested in the history and the throwback of all this. So the new Halloween, it's like, it's almost like not really a fair fight. You know, so much of that movie gets to play off the history. It's this first movie doesn't have any of that. I mean, you mentioned yeah. Psycho and I think it's a good comparison because yeah. there are, throwbacks there are things that he had seen in films before you know he's like okay so when this knife is going in at the beginning here you know in psycho this is how they do it so this yeah. is how i'm yeah it, right yeah you look at the new halloween film and like it's obviously so much more developed you also have you also have such a different approach because like the young female characters are are treated as these like very alluring sex objects that are very yeah. strong and and like you know it's almost like the wink by the director it's like hey they're more than just sex objects, you asshole. You know, yeah. like, that's kind of that's kind of like the whole idea. It's like you know that's yeah. he's he's preying on these young women who mm-hmm. uh, can beat you, and it's like Jamie Lee Curtis is like sixty in the new one. And yes, yeah. there is like the, there is the younger girl character who is kind of filling that same role. Yeah. But Jamie Lee Curtis ultimately is like she's your tough mom, basically. Yeah. She's, you yeah. know, like she should be your tough grandma at, the, for, at this point. Like yeah. For sure. a, so your protagonist feels like a very different character. Um, yeah, and I mean the new one was pretty, pretty, pretty violent, pretty creepy. Um, <laughs> but you're talking about the violence from a few years later in, in Nightmare. I, I would have to think that that new Halloween has equally. I mean, he just beats that guy. Doesn't he just like destroy his skull in the bathroom? Yeah, and, and you even Rock look at uh, even yeah. look at O Seven's uh, Rob Zombie Halloween too, which I, I I know it gets a lot of you know a lot of hate and stuff like that. I do like a little bit of the backstory about Michael Myers and how he became. Uh, I love the simplicity of the 1978 one, but I also respect mm-hmm. the version of, okay, well, let's get a little bit of reason why. What led him to do these horrific things? You know, I mean, what really made the time bomb, you know, explode? Um, and I, I well, do yeah, like, they, yeah. They don't explain the mask in this movie, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. Why does he yeah. have that mask? Where does yeah. it come from? The mask yeah. has this legendary significance, obviously, in the, in the remake, or the, yeah. not the remake, but the 2018 yeah. reboot. Yeah but they don't explain it in this first movie. So yeah. you're just left with like, this is why this kid is the way he is. He's crazy. Yeah. He was born the devil. He's going to kill people. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. And that, I, Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Hunter. And that's the one thing I really love about this is you get just enough from Loomis talking to, um, uh, bracket. Right. Like the devil's eyes, you know, I met this guy or this kid when he was like six years old and, this and that, and that one scene right there, you really understand what you have to know about Michael Myers, and it's so simple, it's so to the point that it is so simple, but it also works for this type of story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, again, like, talking about what, how much time would it add to this film if you tried to build all that backstory in, and would it, would it have any of the same identity that it has. No, and I think yeah. the answer is no. I think you would, you would feel like you, like for better or for worse, Carpenter wasn't equipped to make that movie yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wasn't re- He wasn't ready to make a movie that had as much 
as much depth. Yeah. He was the perfect filmmaker in 1978 to make this movie the way he made it. Yeah. And I think it's reflected in his later films. He starts to play with more and he learns more, but this is so early in his career. Um, like you, you, there's sort of no rhyme or reason to most of what this movie's about. Yeah. It's uh, the, most of the characters don't really have strong motivation. Uh, they don't really need it. Like, yeah. yeah. Loomis, you know, Loomis is, is sort of obsessed. He's fascinated by, <laughs> Michael Myers, you know, that's one trope. You have yeah. the damsel in distress, strong female character, and you have the devil. And that's like, yep. that's a consistent theme. That those, yeah. those three hits stay very consistently through a lot of these films. Like even watching oh, the yeah. new one, somebody, somebody leans over and is like, oh, that's the new Loomis. You know, it's like. Yeah. yeah. Well, because what I told uh, Hunter before, uh, Loomis's character reminds me of, there's, there's a couple characters that come to mind. Quint from Jaws and uh, yep. Ahab from Moby Dick. It's, it, it's, it's one of those things where he is just so obsessed and fixated on defeating this entity this monster mm-hmm. this thing um and he'll do anything he can to to do that and i think he has obviously has borrowed tropes from obviously quint and uh you know obviously the you know jaws three years prior um and i think you know moby dick i think there's a little bit of shades of that for his character i think that's a little bit what makes donald pleasant mm-hmm. such a great character though i think he really i couldn't see anybody else playing this role because i think donald pleasant really does it great yeah, it's really wonderful. Well, also, yeah. I mean, the other thing too this this is back to our shining point a second ago, but like, genre filmmaking was not as developed in 1970 as it is now, even yeah, as it was ten years movie. later. I think when this movie got made in 1978, I don't think people were like, "Oh, it's one of those new horror movies." I think it was kind of like this is a movie about a crazy guy in a mask mm-hmm. that kills a girl. It's oh, it's horror drama like. Yeah. yeah. As as mainstream filmmaking embraced genre filmmaking, then you started to have like the horror genre. You would suspend your disbelief for certain things they could do in this genre. So mm-hmm. a lot of those larger than life things we talk about, the comedy or these unkillable villains, like they didn't exist in the forties. You had like Dracula and the Wolfman and you had like mm-hmm. it, this, the villains and the monsters you were dealing with in these movies. They, they yeah. were of a different kind. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I, speaking of how you said, you know, genre, you know, defining, I think we'll have this conversation maybe 10, 15 years later when we look back at Get Out just for right. the, the, yeah. the, the whole way that, you know, Get Out really shapes uh, movies moving forward. I think, I think we're going to have a conversation about that too. Yeah, because... Right. I mean, because Get Out almost doesn't feel... Get Out's a horror movie, but I, I've yeah. said this before, like, Get Out's the most approachable film ever made about race. It's yeah. the... Yeah, it's the and and that's yeah. a, such a different statement, it's such a different testament from yeah. that movie than you get out of Guy in mass tries to kill girls, which, which, as you yeah. said, like the strong female protagonist is a, is yeah. a theme that you get from this movie. It's yeah. really important. Yeah. So yeah. you know, this movie makes its impact in its own way. But yeah, yeah, and it, it really does elevate the horror genre, or not the horror genre, but the slasher genre. Of yeah. yeah, because obviously, this you know, like I said, two years later, you have Friday Thirteenth, and four after that, you got Nightmare on Elm Street, and you have all these other knockoff, you know. Uh, right, slasher films that come out and try to duplicate or pretty much use that blueprint carpenter mm-hmm. success and kind of go their own way with it. Yeah, because yep. then you had movies like uh, like Prom Night came out a few years after. Yeah, um, what was it? Friday the Thirteenth came out after. Like a yeah. few years after that, Black and Christmas you, had, you can throw in there too. Yeah, Black Christmas, and then of course in the nineties, Scream had that new element of, okay, the teen slasher, but with kind of a, like a comedic, like self-aware humor. That's where that really kicked off in that era as well. I but, saw prominent in theaters, believe it or not. <laughs> really? Wow. I, 
I saw the I saw, it in theaters. I saw the remake of Prom Night in the theater. Well, that's probably the one I saw in theaters. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, okay, the the one with uh Britney Snow. Uh Prom Night from like 2008 probably. That is, that is absolutely yeah, that's Britney Snow. Yep. Yeah. Remake. My friend yep. My friend John is the is the slasher. He's the he's the bad guy in that movie. No shit, that's awesome. Oh, awesome. Yeah. cool, very cool. Yeah. I don't know if either of you guys ever watch action movie anatomy, but uh, we we uh, we had John on the show for Collateral a long time ago. John Sheck, he's like uh, Jonah Hex on on uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and I think I did uh, watch he's the singer and Ooh. he's the singer in that thing you do. Um, in the oh, band. Okay, yeah, because I'm go I, back and watch that episode. Then I'm, I'm absolutely gonna have to because I absolutely listen to a lot of your uh, your podcast stuff now. That Me you're too. On, on your own feed now i really really enjoy that thank you what um, um go, no go ahead go ahead hunter i'm sorry um uh, we should move on to favorite lines but you can get to your uh your point real quick before we head head to favorite lines that's fine we'll just wrap it up. yeah we'll go ahead and go to uh, favorite lines yeah um did you have any of the memorable lines that you took from this film there ben i mean i think you talked about it when you see that when you see that tombstone and he said okay. he's come home yeah. um mm-hmm. I guess those are different moments, but I, I do like that. Like, what is the line about him being the devil? It's that the devil has come home? Is that what he says? I think Hunter has it. Hunter, what is it? Um, well, when Loomis is talking to Brackett, it has, um, he goes, I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. That's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. Uh, yeah, that one really it. stuck out to me. That one really stuck out to me. I like that one a lot. Um yeah, what else? I, I also love when uh, when the one girl's sitting there on the bed and he's standing there in like the sheet and she's talking <laughs> to him. Yeah. And she's like, all right then. Well, this isn't going anywhere. I'm going to just go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's super funny. It's super scary though. Like, And I like how they pay homage to it in the 2018 uh, mm-hmm. Halloween. They really steer you a different way that you think it was going to go one way and it went a completely different way, which I respect because I was kind of like, really, we're doing this again? Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll say one of the lines I really like. It's the end of the film. I feel like all these, like, um, it's when um, Loomis has just come in and saved the day from uh, Lori, and, um, Lori, and she goes, um, "It was the boogeyman." And he goes, "As a matter of fact, it was." It was. That's before he goes and walks on. Obviously, sees Michael Myers is not there because mm-hmm. six shots to the chest area <laughs> and falling from a, you know, from a ledge of the house cannot kill you. So uh, no kill. But um, yeah, there's. I think that that's a that's a good line. Um, oh yeah, I'm trying to think what else. There's a there's. I'm trying to think what I'm really trying. I'm trying to find that one about uh, the devil. I'm, I'm I'm like I'm doing that right now. Is there any other ones that you uh, that you uh, like there, Hunter? I mean, I have one. It says it, it's uh, Loomis talking to Brackett at the very beginning of the film. He goes, "Death has come to your little town, Sheriff." Because oh, maybe yeah. that's what it was. Not not, yeah. not the devil. Maybe it's death has come to your town. Yeah. yeah. That's the line yeah. looking for. <laughs> yep. And then um, this one is just funny to me. Um, it's uh, Annie talking to the guy on the uh, driving the car. And she goes, hey, jerk. Oh, speed kills. kills. And then she goes, I hate a guy with a car and no sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, that's a s- creepy moment, too, when he says speed kills and the, and the car stops. That was yeah, great. Can we, can we say there's no way in hell he would have hurt her? No, can we, can yeah. we just can we just say that? I mean, because like <laughs> he's he, he is clearly passed. There's no way in hell she whispers, she mutters that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but again, it's one of those things where I think you know we were talking about it before. 
it's you, you you have to kind of just go with it you just kind of yeah. have to believe that this stuff can happen and i think that's what makes magic you know in the movies you know you gotta you gotta kind of turn off the you know the can this happen in real life radar you know sometimes because you can yeah, sit down right. and pick, a, pick apart everything um but th- this movie like i said it, it does it it's one i always go back to and i think it's just like it's a classic i'm glad you know we got to talk about it Oh, yeah. And I actually have one more. And it's, uh, again, Loomis is talking to Brackett because they have so many great scenes together. And Brackett actually goes, all right, um, I'll stay with you tonight just for a chance that you are right. And if you are right, damn you for letting him go. Yeah, that's cool. Cause like, that's cool, for sure. Like, just the way he's like, damn you for, for letting him go. Like, yeah. like he's trying to blame Loomis for it, even though Loomis wasn't there, had no idea, and is trying his hardest to get him back because he knows what Michael can do. But he was trying to get into Smith Grove. Like that, it was totally the nurse's fault that he was riding with. Like she yeah. completely abandoned the car. He, she really didn't even have to. Yeah. Um, can we just say that he has excellent driving skills for never having taken any yeah. type of formal driving training? That's yep. a strong point. Yeah. 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 Very strong. Yeah, I'm like, seriously? Like, this kid has been locked up and incarcerated for the last, what? 15 years. 15 years. I mean, he's 21 now. He's never driven a vehicle. How can he possibly maneuver <laughs> this around? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, actually, I, I found myself sitting there. I found myself sitting there thinking, okay, so when this comes up in a Schmodown match, what are the questions that are going to get asked? You know, yeah. what do I need to remember about mm-hmm. this movie? And I was like, all right, yeah. so for, they, they've already asked what outfit he's wearing when he commits his first murder. That's already been a question. Yep. Um, they probably will ask how many years after the opening murder does Halloween take place? And or, how old, that might... or how old was yeah. Michael when he killed Judith? I think that would yeah. be right. So he's, he's six and it takes he's place six. 15 years later. He's six. And then so just think he can buy a beer now when it's when it's pre- like present day. He can legally buy a beer now. So just think of it like that. Um, what state yeah. does it take place in? Is it is it uh, is it Pennsylvania or Illinois? Illinois. 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 Yeah. And, and it's funny because, again, going back to the way they shot, uh, Craven shot Nightmare on Elm Street in California as well. Yeah. And I, I just think it's so crazy that the, I, these movies feel Midwest to me. Kind of how, like you said, like mm-hmm. totally. Pennsylvania, Illinois, Indiana vibe to it. It doesn't feel like this film was shot in California. And, and no, Nightmare on Elm Street's the same way. Agreed. Um, all right. So I guess that's pretty much that's pretty much it. We can wrap it up now. Um, so let's get into the closing plugs. Let's start with our guest, Ben, where can people find you and go ahead, bud. Uh, yeah, guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you having me on. I, uh, obviously I'm part of the movie Chippewa Schmodown. I, uh, I've got a, a brand with Andrew Guy, my former teammate, um, called Action Industries that Hunter's actually a key part of the brand. He works on the advisory board with us and, and, and really, uh, helps make the content come out there, which is awesome. So thank you for that, Hunter. Um, you. you guys can go find that on YouTube, and we, you know, we're, we've got a presence growing there. We've got a live show New York, August 29th at New York Comedy Club in the East Village. So get your tickets now. Uh, we're doing two nights before uh, before the Schmodown match out there. Which obviously, if I take care of business, my next uh, two opponents, I'll be playing for the title against oh the uh, winner of the upcoming match between Dan Merle and Pauliama. Uh, so let's cross our fingers that I get there. Um, but I'll be in New York for that weekend, and that should be a total blast. So thanks. Uh, you guys can find me at, on Twitter at Ben Bateman Media. That's probably the best place to interact. All right. Awesome, man. And Russ, where can people find you? 
Uh, yeah, you guys can find me on House Hollywood Reviews. Uh, I've been dormant on, on YouTube for quite some time, like really dormant. Uh, Chance Ellison and I do a podcast called Notorious by Chance. Check it out. Uh, we joined the Facebook group. I think we have over, I think, 200 people. So thank you. Keep the support going. We have polls that we put up. Uh, we are actually recording uh, the remake of The Wicker Man coming up after this, uh, this show here. Uh, the cage that, coming out of these. That, that, absolutely. Yeah, and what, we're going to be talking about what a uh, shit show and waste of an hour and a half of life that movie was. Um, but yeah, you can find me there and pretty much competing in the, um, the fan leagues. And yeah, that's really about it. Excellent. And if you guys did enjoy this, uh, rate us, subscribe to the, uh, I guess all the feeds everywhere, but, uh, especially like iTunes and Spotify are the biggest ones. And also my two, channels on youtube are film nerd tv and then the combat wrestling network thank you guys and we'll see you next week peace